0: This is Luca and today I will be the host of a new episode of United Citizens of Europe podcast and today we're gonna interview Giulia Costantino from IDP Europe and we will discuss project management and EU funds.
1: Ciao.
0: <laughs> Ciao. Hey, how are you?
1: Fine, thanks. I about you.
0: I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Um, Yeah, I I, I didn't know which organization uh, to invite, to be honest, because I was requesting IHF.
1: IHF, you're right, you're right. Sorry, my mistake. Yeah. Anyway, I'm part of both. I'm part of uh, both IDP and IHF. IHF is a a non-profit organization, so it's an association of uh, professionals and practitioners. Uh, while IDP is a um, normal LTD for-profit company.
0: Oh, okay, okay, nice. Okay, so, yeah, my my first question obviously would have been um, who are you and uh, what is IDP? Mm -hmm. And you already told us a little bit about IDP.
1: Yeah, I'm going to tell you both uh, about IDP and iChat. My name is Giulia Costantino, I'm Italian. I am the proud founder of both IDP and IHF. I am a graduate in law school and hold a post uh, certificate at Boston University in International uh, uh, Business Development. And I lived in Brussels for 10 years, starting in 1991 until 2000. When probably most of you were not born yet. And, uh. <sighs> I started working in the field of uh, European affairs and more specifically in the field of development and management of European projects. So Mm -hmm. I started working in this field in 91. In 1996, I um, started this company, IDP, which has two seats. The legal seat is in Italy, Pescara. It's a small town on the Adriatic coast and the main operational office is in Brussels. And then in 2002, we decided together with some colleagues to start this uh, ASVL, meaning a non-profit organization in Belgium, named IHF, which focuses most on uh, um, training uh, solutions and networking with uh, non-profit third sector and public actors mainly. So this is very, very shortly my my professional history, Uh, for 10 years I've been also a professor of project management at University of Bologna in Italy, so this is also where I, uh, I mean I developed uh, a more specific uh, competence in teaching uh, project management, not only applying it to projects, but also teaching it at uh, university level. That's very nice. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Uh, IDP is a company, as I said, based in Pescara, Italy. uh, And we specialize in uh, developing and managing uh, European projects. So what we basically do, we analyze and understand how um, main European programs work, and Mm -hmm. then develop um, project ideas of our clients or starting from our uh, own team. Um, We develop those ideas into projects, meaning that we look for partners, we build the proposal, we draft the proposal, draft the budget, submit it, and in most cases also either take part in the consortium or assist our clients in uh, managing the project.
0: That's very interesting. That's a a very... uh... Uh, a very thorough uh, answer on, on uh, who are you and what uh, what IDP is. I don't know how many questions I have left now. I uh, know, but uh, I actually like, I just want to say, like you, uh, you're a professor as well, like uh, or you were a professor. Are you still I used
1: teaching? To be. I used to be. I'm still okay. teaching because what we do also, both in IHF and IDP, um, we developed training uh, solutions in European project development and European project management, uh, meaning that we either have uh, develop and um, deliver on-demand uh, specialized course training on, for for instance, for companies or local authorities, or we do organize some post-grad specialized training for um, young professionals in Brussels. So we are still teaching in a way, even though it's not a university, but um, higher education level.
0: Yeah, that's why, because I also wanted to ask you some questions specifically about uh, EU funds, events, projects—like the difference between all this. Let's be still a little bit generic, and then then we're gonna go into yeah. the the actual like core questions. So, like I, I, you said that you had like two offices. You have one office in Pescara, yes. and one office in Brussels. Yes. I have to say that must be really nice. It's it's like first of all, Pescara is like a small place, so you know you don't have a lot of you don't have a lot of people. You don't have, you know. I think it's pretty quiet as a as a place. Uh, and then in the other hand, you have Brussels, which is huge. It's a big city, and yeah, just like every big city has its own problems. Um, yeah. But then, like, do you commute a lot, or do you go every now and then? How does work, and how thanks. stressful is it?
1: Yeah, thanks to Ryanair because we have a <laughs> connection from Pescara to Brussels. Meaning oh. uh, mean, it's very easy for me to commute actually to, well, of course, I don't do it uh, daily, but um, I usually spend. well, before the COVID uh, period, I used to spend like one or two weeks a month in Brussels, and then the rest of the time either at the Italian office in Pescara or traveling for projects um so for us really i mean for me and for my team i think it's really normal to to go and take a flight and uh, work one day in one city in europe and then the second day in brussels and then back home so it's uh it really became normal for us this at the same time it was also normal for us to work um uh, smart in a way, because we also have colleagues, for instance, my business partner and brother, Lorenzo lives in Yerevan, Armenia. Uh, So we have this community of colleagues working from Armenia, Brussels, Italy, not only Pescara, but Rome as well. And then we have colleagues from other parts of Europe and a lot of partners from from our different projects. So it's a big network and we are, very used to work uh, with Skype. It's a normal uh, routine for us.
0: Pre-COVID, it looked like it was a dream job because you were basically trying, you basically said you're traveling everywhere because yeah. of projects, because you have two offices. Uh, so it looks like a really nice job.
1: You know what, Luca, we need to to organize one more interview. When we, you will you decide to start a new uh, topic on work-life balance? And on that, I'm really okay. nice, really.
0: Because okay, is- no, that that that's that's something we we, we should talk about. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> we should. Okay, so now now that you have said it, that it means that you have to take this. Yeah, you have, you have to keep your word, and we're gonna have another uh another discussion together.
1: Okay, fine. <laughs>
0: okay, okay. Now 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 we already have another interview settled. That's great.
1: <laughs> okay, fine. I'm happy. I'm happy. I mean, I'm happy to share my experience. Really because I don't have a background where my parents worked in the same environment. So it's really, I'm a self-made woman in a way. Uh, So it's really funny for me coming from a small Italian town. And I mean, mean, everybody can do it really in Europe. And today you have, um, more uh, uh, tools and more opportunities and possibilities. Imagine I started working when I was amazed that in my office in Brussels, where I started with the stage, there was a fax machine uh, with normal paper. This was really a big thing at the time. There was no internet, no emails. Can you imagine? I I mean, you cannot imagine what this means, but it means also that at the time, um, my first flight to Brussels, uh, I paid for this ticket uh, what was then um, uh, 500 euros, but it would mean 1000 euros today, really. I mean, in, in terms of real life cost. Wow. So imagine the cost of living abroad. Uh, I had to um, really to decide when I wanted to talk to my family because I needed to call them on the phone, on the yeah. landline, and this cost a huge amount of money. So really, I mean, it was a totally different life. Today, young people like you and probably most of the people who are listening to us now uh, have a lot of possibilities and opportunities in terms of uh, cheaper flights, Uh, being really used to work and talk with people from other countries. So it's a totally different story for you uh, today. But I'm really happy to share my experience also to show you that even in more difficult times, it was possible to do it. Uh, So now it's really almost an obligation for you to profit of all those tools and means uh, that you have, that we didn't have.
0: (laughs) No, yeah, definitely. That's that's actually really interesting because, again, like, because um, now uh, it's becoming kind of, um, yeah, for us, it's kind of like a, a given token. Like it's normal for us to travel, to uh, go around, um, whether it's it's EU or extra EU. Maybe EU, it's way easier for us because like we just need um, an ID and that's it. You really don't need that much. Also, don't need that much money. Uh, and also working like right now. We are like an organization based in Strasbourg, but right now like none of us is in Strasbourg anymore. Like uh, I am right now in Sofia uh, and the others are either in uh, Poland, but now moving to Berlin and then another in Geneva. So like we're everyone like here for us, it's very normal to, to be all over the place every couple of months, whatever happens, we're used to moving away, moving anywhere. Okay, let's let's go back to to the main topic, though. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're talking about projects. So you said that you were a professor. You're a professor uh, in project management at the University of Bologna, which is a really good university uh, in Italy. Uh, so congrats for being a professor there, because I think that was a, well, probably like very complicated to yeah. to do a PhD and to teach there. Um, but I wanted to know, like, what's the difference between project management and making an event? Like, what's yeah, what's the difference between a project and an event, uh, mainly? Um, like, Because like it looks like it's kind of the same thing, isn't it? Like, it or is an event the project, or is a project I mean, an event? I don't it's know. It's
1: not the same thing, but you could apply project management to each event in your life, meaning not only professionally, but even for instance, when I organized my uh, wedding, it was an, a privilege for me. Uh, I did it also for my moving from Brussels to Italy, uh, for anything. I mean, once you're into this, um, into this subject, you really start. To, uh, first of all, you start understanding that whatever you do, you are already applying some project management uh, theories and tools. Uh, if you study it, then you will be more consciously applying it those uh, tools, and you you end up using it for any moment of your life in a way. so an event is also a project in itself because it has it has mm-hmm. all the characteristics of a of a um, um, of a project meaning that it's a very precise uh, a set of activities that to take place in a specific Uh, with a beginning and an end, uh, usually you have a specific budget and you want a certain type of results. Uh, And these are the three dimensions of a project. Um, So an event is exactly the same as a normal any other project. So you can apply project management techniques and tools to the organization of an event too.
0: Mm. Okay, but then like, I don't know, like, then like how, like, so the, basically they're the same, like, we can say that they're the same thing or they're just similar. I don't know.
1: It's the same thing to me.
0: Okay. Okay, good. Okay. I, I just, I just wanted to clarify this. Cause like, I really didn't, cause I heard a lot of people talking about it as if they were two completely different things. Like I was really sad, like, no, this is not a project. This is an event. So I was like, okay, I was a little bit confused. I, so that's why I wanted to ask you uh, course, as an expert. Yeah.
1: You always need to understand what, what is the, the context in which you're talking. Sure. But usually, one event is really a very typical project, a very small project, uh, sure. but very typical. Mm.
0: OK, OK, so we, OK, OK, yeah. Then now now it's a little bit more clear. OK. I,
1: mean, I, can, um, I can talk about three days in a row, if you want, about this, but then, I, we stopped another
0: <laughs> topic again. <laughs> no, yeah, let's let let's let's make it uh concise this time. Uh also because we're gonna have another uh, another chat another time. So uh we have all the time. Um okay, so but then now let's go to EU projects. Uh what yeah. does it mean like making an EU project? What what are EU funds and how does that work uh precisely?
1: It's a very really nice question. Um the European Union has a budget, of course, as you may know, and a part of this budget is um, used to um, make, in a way, European policies and objectives, long-term objectives and priorities to make them true and real. How? By funding organizations who will um, somehow make those policies real by developing and implementing projects. What does this mean? It means that basically you're not um, any, every time you ask uh, for funding, you submit a proposal for funding, you have to um, contribute actively to the objectives of the program where you are applying and also to the uh, long-term priorities of the European Union. So it's not like you, you need, uh, something and you ask for funding. It's the other way around. The European Union needs uh, a certain um, objective to be reached, uh, and they fund you. They fund you uh, because you help them uh, making this objective real. This is the logics behind a European project. Practically speaking, you have two main portfolios. Let's say. So the budget is divided first of all into two main strands. One, which accounts for about 80% of the total funding, uh, is spent through the intermediation of uh, local authorities. So it's sent in a way to um, member states or regions or departments uh, for them to be spent in a, in a according to a program which is Defined together by the local authorities and the Commission. So these are called the structural funds. Those um, structural funds are um, spent by the Member States on uh, programs and objectives uh, focusing on local development under the supervision, in a way, of the European Commission. And our company does not deal with those funds. Okay, so we only deal with the other strength, which is the so-called direct funding, meaning that it's a direct funding managed directly by the European Commission. So you don't have this uh, sort of intermediate uh, role of local authorities. Uh, Those funds are divided into um, multiannual programs. Uh, Those programs run for seven years and we are about to have the new um, set of programs uh, because the new programs will start in 2021 and will run until 2027 each program is um, defined for a certain aspect of our economic scientific social life Probably the most known um, and the biggest program is uh, uh, Horizon. Today it is called Horizon 2020. It will Mm -hmm. be called Horizon Europe in the next uh, programming period. And it's it's the big um, program uh, funding uh, research projects, research and innovation. The second biggest program is Erasmus+. Which is the big program devoted to training and education, sport and youth in all uh, their possible um, nuances, in a way. And then you have several other projects, uh, programs. Sorry, uh, focusing, for instance, on the environment, or on uh, competition, or uh, migrants, uh, uh, consumers policies, etc. So in, for each program, you have a specific budget and then specific um, priorities. And every year, more or less, you have one call for proposals, mm-hmm. and your project is an, um, a submission that you that you submit. Sorry, uh, within one of those calls. Okay, so this is the big frame of of the. Uh, European uh, program and projects. Now what happens is that you need to answer to a call. So you have to submit your idea within a specific call and you have to match your idea, your needs with the needs and objectives and priorities of the call and of the program. So our work, our job is really to understand what the programs are about and matching ideas and priorities Once you do that, you need to build a consortium because most of those programs require uh, the proposal to be submitted by a consortium of independent organizations representing more member states, usually three, but up to nine, Um, meaning that very often you only have a couple of of countries represented in your basic idea, so you need to find more Mm -hmm. partners. And only once you have done all this, so matching the idea, found the the partners, then you can start actually drafting the proposal. And in this, you have many elements you have to take into consideration. You have to develop a specific budget.
0: And how much time, I'm sorry for for interrupting you, but how much time do you have then from uh, from the call is out until the deadline of the call?
1: Well, usually you have something. It's an average of like three months. Sometimes a longer period, uh, five months, but not longer than that. So usually what you need to do, you need to start working on the proposal before the call is okay. published, because you already have all the elements, all the main elements, because these are elements relating to a program which runs for seven years. So you already have a macro idea of what's, what going, what's going to be um, included in the call. And, and then you
0: pick the pieces. Wait
1: for the last moment to, to start um, developing a proposal.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now it makes uh, it, I, because like otherwise it would be like okay in three months. Okay, maybe you can, uh, you can write a project, but I think yeah, like it's better if you have a like a bigger scheme, a bigger thing, and then you just pick the parts that the European Union wants to read. Basically, is it?
1: Well, you know what, if you. Like in our case, we have a very wide network of potential partners in many different countries and from many different sectors. So it's easier for us. Uh, Sometimes we did do it. We don't, it's not our best way of working. We don't advise Mm -hmm. it. But sometimes it happens that you bump into an idea when the call is already open. So you have to rush in a way usually we don't like this but sometimes we we need to do it and it's easier of course if you're working in this field for many years you do have a wide um, variety of uh, potential partners that you can mobilitate
0: yeah okay i i wanted to ask you a question there's a question from the um, uh from the viewers and it asks uh did you have to change a lot of programs of the next period after covid uh, do you did you have like yeah were there some things that you had to, like was something postponed uh, did like what how did the pandemic affect uh, yes. your field? Okay,
1: I tell you about Erasmus because we had a deadline in March, so we were working hard on this deadline. Uh, in Erasmus, you usually have the call published in October, and the deadline is usually in March. So this is the time span you usually have. Uh, So we're full into this, uh, working into this because you have to think that we are based both in Italy and in Brussels. And in Italy, the first uh, alarm started around the 20th of February. But then schools closed on the 5th of March and the total lockdown came on the 8th, uh, if I'm not mistaken, of March. So we only had like 20 days um, to go. At, at that moment, um, I imagine all of you, uh, at a certain moment, uh, did um, experience the same. So suddenly, everything shut down. Well, in yeah. Italy, it was even more sudden because there was no example before. So yeah. we were just like one night, the prime minister said that we were all locked down in our uh, homes. So this took us some time, because in our case, as I said, we are used to work um, in remote. Uh, But what happened was that after the first moment of uh, total mess, um, the Commission decided to postpone this deadline. So they gave uh, us one more month to uh, work on the projects. Uh, Also, what happened was for running projects, because it was more difficult for running projects, projects that were already under implementation because we already, for instance, had planned meetings. You have a lot of meetings during projects. You usually work from your place, but then you meet like once every six months, more or less. Um, so, of course, we had many pro- many consortium meetings already set for uh, March, April, May, etc yeah. for the entire year until october and Of course, we had to cancel them and then we started organizing and holding online meetings and this also took us some time to understand how to better do it because when you meet, usually it's a one or up to two day meeting uh, and. Sh- so to a conference call, it was quite uh, uh, difficult. So it was a lot of uh, trial and error in a way. Yeah. Uh, but it was also, a, I mean, a peculiar experience, let's say. I think we all learned a lot from, from yeah. this uh, period.
0: No, definitely. Like, now I think, I think one of the things is that, um, I mean, as you said, like, everything shut down. We all had to adapt. And one of the things that I find weird is that still when there are some... Um, job application—they still ask you to work on Microsoft Office, and no one asks you about if you know how to use uh, G suits, like uh, the Google uh, Drive stuff. Like, I'm sorry, but we're gonna like after a pandemic. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I, just in case, I would want to know if um, someone that applies uh, to a job application. Like, I want to know if you know how to use uh, Google Drive. If you know how, if you know how to use like remote, let's say, uh, job tools. Uh, Because Microsoft Office, like, yeah, you can use it, but then, like, are you going to send me an email every two seconds? Like, (laughs) what's going to, like, I don't know, even job applications, I think they're still, um, they still haven't been updated uh, Mm. for COVID because they still require, they still ask you for as a requirement something that right now, like, after eight months, like, I don't know, let's say seven months from the pandemic, that's obsolete. Like, now, like, uh, knowing how to use this, these shared documents has become way more important. But still, like, it looks like it's uh, not for every field, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But but did and this is like, actually, um, yeah, I wanted wanted to ask you, like, I'm going to ask you this question and then we're going to go back. But um, do you because here we're all young people, uh, we're all doing internships. And actually, a couple of episodes ago, we talked about how hard it is now to find an internship. and find work and stuff like that. So I wanted to ask you, uh, are you looking for people? Do you have interns? Uh, How do interns, uh, what do interns do in your organization? Organizations, because it's-
1: In general, we do uh, host interns, mainly in the Brussels office, because usually Mm -hmm. this is the one which is more, um, uh, I mean, enjoyable for for our um, interns. And um, so we we usually have two interns at a time. We don't want to have a big crowd in the office, Mm -hmm. also because we think that people, of course, we can can really uh, counsel and tutor them better if there are not too many. Um, What happens now is that we're going to host two interns in Italy because in Brussels, we don't feel comfortable with the Brussels office because people are, well, we use the Brussels office mainly for uh, external relations in a way, meaning that there is, the office is permanently open, but it's used mainly for uh, us to host meetings or um, our colleague who lives in Brussels, uh, takes part in uh, events there, or meets, I mean, networking events. But at the moment, we want to reduce our exposure to external people in a way, so we don't feel comfortable with this Brussels office. People arrive there after a flight, usually, Mm -hmm. uh, which, I mean, uh, mean, you're not meeting one person, you're meeting the entire crew of the flight and all the passengers who were with this person. So we really want to reduce the exposure. We canceled all, all meetings until March mm-hmm. and all external, meaning training and other uh, external um, activities. And we also canceled all internships in Brussels. Uh, in Italy, we are going to host two people, but with them, we, yeah, we, we want to be very careful. Well, not towards them, but also with them. Also because we're mainly uh, working in remote. We will use the office only for a couple of days uh, a week and in shifts. So we're not going to be more than two, three people at the same time. In the office, and this makes it also difficult for uh, interns to understand exactly what we're doing. So, we're going to have a tutoring uh, program for them, but it's really much more difficult for us and for them to. So I think that for the moment we're not uh, accepting more interns, and certainly not in the Brussels office. But after the pandemic, we will start again accepting um, interns. Usually, we do it uh, through programs, so either Erasmus or other uh, scholarships uh, funded mm-hmm. by universities or uh, associations, yeah. etc. It's better. Uh, we think that the management of the of the entire process is better. Um, and more beneficial uh, if there is a uh, sending organization, an official sending organization.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, no, it's nice. It's good to know. Like whenever you're gonna open the calls for uh, internships, uh, if you well, want, we're definitely. I'm sorry
1: if I interrupt you, but we are already considering. Uh, I mean, we're already selecting people for September two thousand twenty-one.
0: Oh, nice! If you have anything written, like we can repost it, we're gonna post in our uh, page so that we have. We're gonna help our followers, um, and yeah, I mean, just to uh, again, we're all young people. Uh, we are all struggling, so I would love to help other. Uh, we would love to help other uh, young people like us that are struggling to look for uh, for an internship, and and it's it's very nice that again, like we we had the pleasure to interview. And that you are, um, yeah, that your organizations uh, accept interns. So yeah, it's it's really good. Okay, so I we're still not done though. Uh, I don't know why I went to internships, um, kind of uh, not in the middle, but like uh, right, all of a sudden. Um, mm-hmm. But now we're. I just want to ask you, um, with which projects are you working on? Like, what are the projects you're working on right now? Um, is there any project like online right now or? Um, I don't know. Are are they all postponed?
1: No, no, no. Because the projects that were already running uh, are still running, so we're still under implement. They're still under implementation. We are currently working on about twenty projects. They're mainly uh, wow. Erasmus projects in different fields. They range from uh, digital literacy to uh, developing entrepreneurial spirit in. The, young um, uh, g- young graduates uh, around the Roman roots mm-hmm. of Europe. So how to to create uh, new companies dealing with the uh, focus of Roman roots. Um, we have more projects on, uh, for instance, um, uh, non-immaterial cultural heritage. Uh, so they range, really, we have many different fields. Uh, you can find all those projects on our website. Uh, most of the time, they deve- we develop, um, I was saying they meaning the project, but we did it through the project, develop uh, trading um, uh, platforms, which are usually multilingual, open, free, uh, with different oh, uh, courses that you can take. Uh, so I invite you all to go and have a look at our uh, website. It's easier for you to to browse through our projects that way than for me to tell you, but there are uh, at this very moment about 20. As I told you, we also assist our clients. So there are some projects which are not listed in our website because are not our projects. We only develop them and we are, but we're still um, I mean, working those projects for our clients.
0: And I what think kind of, we, uh, if I can ask you, what I, kind of, okay, so sorry, sorry, yeah, I wanted I to ask mean, you what kind of project? I'm
1: involved a project that started in January, just before the pandemic, actually, and it's a um, project on the inclusion of LGBT students in, within universities, <coughs> sorry. Oh. <coughs> So it's a very interesting project a
0: tool. <clears throat> no, yeah yeah, I'm sorry, like uh, we're talking a lot uh, without any um, without any water break, so I'm sorry if if it's uh, drying a little bit your um your oh, throat it's kind of normal. <laughs> I'm sorry
1: yeah
0: um, <laughs> we have another we have another um, question. To what extent yeah. will these projects be affected by the pandemic uh, in terms of deadlines and final results?
1: Okay, in some cases. <coughs> in the meanwhile, I introduce you to my daughter. Um, so then as I said, the the pandemic affected those projects uh, um but not uh, in a dramatic way, let's say, because Some of those projects were the the final um, dates of the projects were postponed in some cases, but just by two months. And in many other cases, we decided to to keep the original deadlines. So we really made a big effort in uh, uh, trying to meet our internal deadlines. So most of our projects will finish on time. What we did, we added some material. So in most Hmm. cases, training solutions, as I said, in platforms. Uh, what we did, we added some uh, small courses or uh, some sections to our analysis of the field to um, uh, integrate the, let's say, the, the, the new issues uh, raised by the pandemic. Um, so in, in a way, they, the pandemic made us uh, work more and uh, enrich the content that we developed for our projects. So it was not a bad, um, I mean, at the end of the day, (laughs) it was not totally uh, bad. We did lose some budget because we couldn't, Mm. um, we were not able to implement all activities for which we receive a budget. For instance, for uh, um, transnational meetings, of course, we couldn't travel, so we didn't get the money, even though we didn't spend the money either. So at the end of the day, it's probably a balanced uh, situation. Uh, So I would say that final results are not only um, completely achieved, but even enriched uh, compared to what we planned at the beginning of the project. Can I
0: can I ask you a, a follow up questions on uh, a follow question on what you said because you, you said that yeah like basically because there was no international meeting in person you didn't receive the the money and obviously okay and you didn't even do it so it was it was fine but do you think then that maybe the commission might think like okay I mean you did it once through Skype even after COVID, maybe they're like, okay, no, you can meet certainly, each other.
1: Certainly. Well, in a way, you know, there are some uh, effects of meeting in person that you will never have through Skype, meaning that yeah. um, the personal touch, of course, in very often uh, the meeting is also um, the first time you meet your partners, because sometimes, mm-hmm. most of the times, you look for them through your network, network of your colleagues, etc. So, you don't always know them personally. And knowing people personally will make it easier to work in remote. So it's easy to start working in smart um, sessions after you met those people in person. So it was also easy for us to switch to Skype. I mean, apart, I mean, we already have Skype conference calls in all of our projects because we don't mm-hmm. only meet in person, but we also Meet usually once a month or once uh, every two months on Skype. At the same time, the, the personal touch is completely lost, and this is very important, especially when you have some problems in the project in implementation, like people who don't meet the deadlines or people with. Pers- for instance, in one project, we have a partner who is normally very very efficient. We know already for a long time it's. A, fantastic person, she's really very strong and always on time, etc. And then suddenly she disappeared and we didn't know what happened to her, but we already knew her in person. We knew she was, I mean, we could trust her. So if she was not available, probably there was a problem which eventually we discovered. She did have, uh, well, nothing too serious, but um, she, so, I mean, if you don't know people in person and you never met them, It's difficult for you to um, even to assess uh, a situation or to prevent a possible problem. Uh, So in this way, I think we will go on with uh, face-to-face meeting when this will be possible. On the other hand, of course, we also discovered, I mean, it was not a a, a surprise for me that it's it's much more efficient when you cut all the time that you need to travel to a certain when you can do things online, I just read a, a, a statistics from the um, Economist last week, and there is one session on uh, smart working. I don't know if any of you had the opportunity to read it. And uh, indeed, there is this statistics about how much the um, time devoted to meetings decreased. So all meetings are now shorter, but not less efficient. So. Yeah. Uh, I think it was very important for uh, uh, all involved people to understand that this is possible. In my case, I I, I was already convinced of it. As as I told you, we're already used to to work on remote.
0: No, yeah, but, like, that's that's why I wanted to ask, like, if there was a possibility of, um, yeah, maybe the commission just to, in order to uh, try to save some money to just be like, okay, I mean, just meet on skype but yeah as you said like i think it's not like it cannot be possible because in general you already meet through skype because obviously you cannot meet because for a project i can imagine that you meet you have to meet multiple times and as it's transnational you cannot um really go every time uh to the other person and meet everyone meet um to meet um but i understand yeah that yeah, it's better to 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 see each other at least every now and then. Also, especially if it's a new partner. Uh, so I really hope that, um, and I also don't think that they're gonna cut any any money on uh, on that budget. Well,
1: you know what? There is this. Uh, well, all all meetings start with a kickoff meeting. Sorry, all projects start with a kickoff meeting. And this is really, really very, very important for the entire project, also in terms of management of the project, because this is where you not only know people, but you also set a certain uh, uh, path for the entire project. You also show and share tools, deadlines. Uh, So it it is a very, very important meeting for the project. So if if I could choose, I would probably go on with uh, this meeting face to face. And then yeah. after this, you really can skip the other meetings. OK, maybe you want to meet again once in two years. You, you probably want to meet once. But uh, this is not really as necessary as the kickoff meeting. This is really important for a project. We have many projects starting now in November uh, for the last. Uh, the Yeah, this was the last, not the latest. The last call of Erasmus, this one that I told you about in April. We had uh, 12 projects approved uh so they they were supposed to start with kickoff uh, meetings in uh, october november and december but of course we're going to have only online meetings yeah. and this will really make a different difference for the entire project i'm sure
0: well but again hopefully if the project doesn't start before like march maybe you can still meet hopefully in next year 2021 we're, we're really hopeful of 2021 to be a better year. Maybe with a vaccine, with something that will let us live quietly and peacefully, at least to some extent as it was before. But yeah, <laughs> hopefully you're gonna be able to meet yeah. uh, and travel a little more. Um, I just wanted to say that we reached, um, we we talked for a long time. Um, I wanna let you go. I really love talking to you about this, and I really hope that we can actually talk about, um, not only about work balance, um, uh, life work balance, but also um, like talk a little bit, also about a little bit more about your history as, uh, as a project manager uh, before internet. Because right now we talked uh, for the second part, let's say a lot about internet and everything being online. And yeah, now I want to know like how, how it was before, like internet. Like, how did project work before internet? Uh, I feel but, very uh,
1: old when I talk of this, but it's really interesting. It's really
0: interesting. <laughs> I I'm, I'm sorry, it was not. I know, I did not sorry. want to. I didn't want sorry. to make you feel like that. I'm sorry. No, no, okay, to...
1: don't worry. <laughs> I remember asking. This must must have been like in 1993, maybe. I asked this friend of mine who had been studying in the states. So he was like. I mean, he studied in the States. What this art was, because we already had um, uh, the the art button on our computers, and he told me, and I was like, I don't know, what what is this? And he told me, ah, this is something they use in the States. So it was really very mysterious, you know, (laughs) this art. And now, I mean, everybody uses it several times a day. So it's really funny, yeah.
0: No, but again, I really want to have you again. Uh, we're gonna definitely talk about uh, all these things. So thanks Anyhow. a
1: lot. I just want to thank you too. <laughs> not all experience. Yeah, true. Everything not all, but experience. we're when I talk about this, but not, uh, not in other uh, uh, moments of my life.
0: <laughs> thank you, uh, Julia, for uh, for being here and um, and being interviewed by by me and, tell, and really telling us uh, everything about project management. Uh, Not even everything, but like at least the basis of project development and new funds. And yeah, I hope we can continue this conversation sometime soon.
1: So thank you very much
0: and see you next week. Ciao. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed our episode. Uh, Make sure you follow us. You rate us five stars on Apple Podcast and make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram and our Twitter. You can find us as United Citizens of Europe. See you next week.